All right. I really love how laid back you guys are so that I don't feel a whole lot of pressure to, like, the transition is seamless. So I appreciate you guys just rolling with me. Um, as Grady said, my name is Kendra Mark. I'm the Director of Development for Project Hope Worldwide. Um, today is Orphan Sunday here at Dalton Hill Church. Um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Project Hope transition to my testimony and then kind of go deeper a little bit more for Orphan Sunday. So Project Hope, like he said, we got an office over on 86th Street. If you guys love Mexican food, El Tequila's right next door. We support them with our business often. Queso is life. Um, and we have a really small office. There's only five of us there. Each of us are the head and only employee of our department. <laughs> Um, there's probably three of us that are full-time. We have our executive director, myself, and then um, our finance and account. And then we have two part-timers that handle missions and administration. So of this organization, there are only five in the U.S. office. There are over 70 employees worldwide, and then over 270 orphans that we care for. So we do a lot with what we have. We work as hard as we can to make sure that we're taking care of these kids. Um, so what do we do? We provide holistic care, and holistic care is anything that a father would provide for a child. You think about our fathers and how they stepped in to be the leaders of our household, to teach us right and wrong, to lead us to Christ, to build the family connection, to make sure that we were safe. If we got an injury or were hurt, our, our fathers pay for that. Our fathers take care of that. They provide food and water, the essentials, and they make sure that we're educated. So in, in the Bible, we, it talks about orphans as being those without provision. So children whose fathers have abandoned them, not necessarily past, are still without provision. They've still been robbed of that fatherhood that's supposed to look over them. So our duty as Project Hope is to step in and to be a father to the fatherless as Christ has called us. So we do this uh, through child sponsorship, donation, a number of things. Um, but I wanted to give you just a view of kind of what we provide for the children. So um, just a little recap of Dalton Hill. Uh, we were here, like the uh, Baltzer said, back in, I think it was 2020, right before things got really crazy. And uh, Margie and Dennis shared their, um, their testimony. And believe it or not, I've known them pretty much my entire life. Used to go to their farm and work a little bit to get some milk. Uh, my mom was like a homesteader. So we've gone way back, and I've been best friends with her daughter forever. Um, at Dalton Hill, when we visited, um, it just sparked new friendships. And I just want you to know how welcoming your church really is. And like Grady alluded, uh, him and Donald just drop by my office whenever they go out for brunches. And it's just such a treat to have them stop in. And they're always asking, how can we pray for you? What can we do for you? How are our kids? Show us new pictures. You know, and I, of course, that's like my jam. So I like to show them photos and pictures of their kids and just encourage them that they are really making a difference and just love the big heart that Dalton Hill has um, to welcome people in and then to invest in them once once we walk out the door. I just want you guys to know that. So um, Orphan Sunday is uh, one Sunday a month that is reserved for talking about orphan care. 
and it was started by the Christian Alliance for Orphans, which is basically the gold standard of how to care for orphan children. Um, CAFO had gone and done um, a seminar down in Africa, and they had noticed that there were orphans everywhere and thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if the church came together on one day to have one voice with one purpose, and that was to bring light to the plight of orphans and to follow scripture and take care of them. So they started this revolution of Orphan Sunday. It's been around for about 20 years now. And um, we're just glad to be able to celebrate another Orphan Sunday with you guys and, um, and what God has in store for that. I'd like to share a little bit about my testimony. And um, it's not glorious or great. I'm going to try not to cry because I don't want that on the recording. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, God gives us all a story. It's not always beautiful, but there is transformation, and God will be glorified in the end. So I'm going to take you guys back to 2011, when um, I was in a troubled marriage, but we were in counseling, working it through. We'd been married eight years, um, no kids, and I was just looking for identity. What is my identity? I think for too long it had been wrapped up in who I was in my marriage and the success of that. And then I started going to a church that I had actually grown up in, found a mentor, dove really deep into scripture, started finding my new identity in Christ, and asking myself, well, what does he want for me? What is my next step? And then one day they talked about um, a trip to Uganda. And although we had three other projects, we are really connected to the Uganda project because it was the first, and that's where we really dove in deep. So they said they were going to go on a trip, and that anybody could come. God can use any of us. And I was thinking, oh, well, if he can use me, then this is a miracle. So I, I signed up for the trip, went through all the training, and it was November of 2011. And I was like, I told my husband at the time, I'm going on this trip. I really feel God's calling me. He didn't have a, many great things to say, unfortunately. thought that I was following a false gospel. And uh, I said, well, I feel like God's calling me so you don't trump God. Sorry. So <laughs> I go on this trip, and um, I had told the leadership at the time, I was like, listen, I'm kind of a baby Christian. I'm rediscovering my faith. I really don't want to do any evangelism. That's totally out of my comfort zone. And they were like, oh, we got you. It's totally fine. You can just do photography. And that's what I did at the time to make a little extra and had gone to school for. So I go to Uganda with 15 other people that range in age and experience and where they are in their Christian walk. And we get to go out to Chalamilare. And that was right after they had received the first kids. All the kids are really, really little. But, it, I mean, of course it's a culture shock. You go over there and you see people living in a specific way that you're like, oh, I have so much. How could God give me so much and I'm so bad? But what was so beautiful is that the people that we met had such an unadulterated faith because they literally live hand-to-mouth. They pray for their needs. When someone gets sick... You have to believe that God is going to heal that person and pray diligently. It's not a Facebook thing like here where we say, I'm praying for you. You know, it's, it's real life and death. Scripture is life and death. 
death over there. And so I got to go um, take some photographs of some children that were on the waiting list to come into the program. And that's when I met little Ivan. Ivan was four years old. Both of his parents had passed away from AIDS, and he had five siblings, and his seven-year-old grandmother was taking care of all five of them, plus three other siblings from some of her other children. And when I saw her, I could just see the desperation on her face. She cooked beer over an open fire to make money, and the only thing that these children had to eat was the froth off the top of the beer. So it's basically yeast, and it, it's, it's almost like a cottage cheese texture, but that's what the children were eating. And Ivan had a distended belly. He probably had parasites and just stoic. So I, I remember just taking photos of him and thinking, all right, God, I'm here. I'm doing this. What more do you have for me? Let me just tell you, don't ask God questions like that unless you want answers. And I feel like he's done this and repeated it over and over and over again in my life. And yet, for some reason, I'm always like, oh, God, remember that. So we leave after visiting Ivan. And the team decides that they're going to go on their hut-to-hut evangelism. And I'm like, whew, I'm going to go kick my feet up, relax. And they're like, oh, no, Kendra, we need someone extra. And I was like, oh, gosh. I don't, I've never been, like, an anxious person, but I thought I was going to pass out or throw up. So uh, I get paired with this lady who literally was a chatty Kathy the entire trip, never stopped talking until the moment we got out of the van. And then all of a sudden it was like she lost her voice. She couldn't speak. And I just thought, ain't this something? <laughs> and I thought she was going to carry the, the whole thing. And we get a guide, a translator, and us two ladies. And we literally just found a trail and started walking in the bush. And we come across these villages. And we come across these housing um, huts. And we just would be hey, can we talk to you? And of course they're like, oh wow, most of them have never seen a white person, so they were like, please sit down. They give you the highest seat that they have in the shade, and of course I, they, I have like a, a little tract, and I'm trying to read off of this, and we talk about how sin is like cancer, and cancer infects your body, and if you don't take steps to get rid of your cancer, it will destroy you, and you will die, and then there's nothing. But we're talking about how like Jesus and salvation is the cure to sin, which is the cancer of our lives. And I'm trying to go through this, and it feels very robotic and strange. And then I thought to myself, all right, I'm here. You gave me a testimony. What is it I'm supposed to share? And so I got encouraged by our translator, like, just speak from your heart. That's what they want. They want you to be genuine. I thought, okay. So... I, the next group we went to, um, I just started telling them about myself, about my, how my marriage was troubled, my husband was an alcoholic, I was pretty sure he was stepping out on me, and I was just upset that like, well I did all the right things, and this is still what I got, but God is faithful, and God never said that I was going to have a great marriage and everything was going to be good. He, he almost promises in scripture that your life is going to be a little bit more challenging. And so, um, turns out that it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Adultery is everywhere. 
alcoholism and drug abuse and, and physical violence, all of those things are everywhere. And so it was a much more relatable topic to share with people. And it opened the door for me to have like, genuine conversations about salvations with people. Before I was even done with the day, I was standing under a tree and I had started talking with maybe five people. And then all of a sudden people are coming from all down the streets and the next thing I know is I'm like, I'm preaching to like 30 people. And I didn't even want to get out of the van. God is so amazing. So when I came back from Uganda, I was like on fire. And it's, and it's not necessarily like when you go on a trip that you're going to affect their lives. Like you're going to do something so great for them that their lives are impacted. It's always Jesus turning the mirror on yourself. So when I came back home, my husband was acting strange. And I was like, I've been gone for 15 days. I can't even get a hug from you. This is odd. And then he asked me for a divorce. The day after I caught off the plane... I told you I was going to cry. <laughs> but it was sad. It was hurtful, of course. Nobody wants to hear that. And it turns out while I was gone, he had found someone else that he wanted to be with. But it was almost like God calls you to do something. And you say, okay, I'm going to be obedient. He has something better for us. And I know that God hates divorce, and that's never his what he wants for anyone. But through our eventual divorce, my ex-husband ended up becoming a Pentecostal preacher. Tell me how that happens. No idea. But he rectified his life because there was no one to fall back on anymore. And God transformed me that when I came back, I was like, okay, I'm yours, whatever you want me to do. And so I told Project Hope, I was like, hey, you guys need anything? You just let me know. And I mean, you can do this through any organization, any church, but I'm just saying that this is, this is the avenue that I had. And so for years, I volunteered, did photography for their uh, fundraiser, things like that. And then um, one day, I get a call from the president of the company, and he says, hey, Kendra, um, I heard you may not be totally fulfilled in your job. Would you like to quit and come work for us? And I was just like, what? I had been at a law office for nine years. I was a paralegal. I made pretty good money. But let's face it, sometimes working in a paralegal, you make rich people richer. And there's not a whole lot of fulfillment other than paying my bills to do the things that I do want to do. So I, I was like, all right, let's talk. And I had no intentions of leaving my job, just grumbling about it like everybody else and keep it going. <laughs> so uh, I meet with him, and they're like, on the spot, ready to offer me the job. And I'm just like, how does this happen? I was a newlywed with two new stepchildren that I was trying to navigate what that life is like. My husband, my new husband, Zach, he's like, I think you should probably put a pause on changing your career completely and losing all your benefits and all these things, you know, we probably need to settle into, you know, being married first. And I was like, God only asks once on this one. 
I was like, this is an opportunity to be faithful to what I said and what God is offering. Uh, he was just kind of like, okay. So he just supported me in that decision. That was seven years ago. I started off just doing administrative things, and then people were like, hey, you like to talk to other people and get them on board. Let's give you some more duties and responsibilities. So then I moved up to development, and so I get to come talk to people like you guys and throw little missions, fairs, things like that, and child sponsorship, of course. It's super near and dear to my heart. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I started sponsoring that little boy that I photographed, Ivan. And I've been his sponsor for 10 years now. And he calls me Mama Kendra. And uh, when I had my son, was upset that I didn't name my son after him. <laughs> I was like, but I already have one kid named Ivan. I don't need two. So I, I really do consider it a, a spiritual adoption for that little boy. And, you know, in my will, he will be in it, just like my other kids. Um, so working for Project Hope uh, has been awesome, but of course there's always struggles in ministry. And, um, you know, right around year seven, I was just feeling really burnt out. And I was just thinking, I don't know how to do this anymore. Like, somebody else should probably step in who is more educated than I am, better, better sounding in front of a mic than I am. Someone else should probably do this because they're going to be better at it. And so I asked God to release me from Project Hope, that I felt that I just wasn't what it needed anymore. And I was set to go to Uganda, and that's March of this year, right before the Baltzers got to go, and it marks 10 years since I had been there. I had not returned. And so I had a job to do while I was there, but I was feeling so drained, and I told my team, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I'm so drained and frustrated, and, and it's, it's hard to convince people to give and to give generously because we, we live in a land of plenty, yet we act like our resources are going to vanish. And I'm guilty of it myself. My husband, my kids, we're all this way. And, and I just, I told him, I said, I need a revival while I'm in Uganda. Will you guys pray that God sends me a word or a revival so that I can continue doing this work because I want to be faithful to him calling me to this organization so like he shouldn't I shouldn't just leave because I've done my piece I'm tired I'm out I want to be faithful to how he calls so we go to Uganda and um, my main job while I'm there is to work on some of the pre-transition stuff that the Balters were talking about we have these children growing up to be aged out um, but the Ugandan government has added two years to high school. So a lot of our kids are going to be in their 20s when they graduate high school. So we have to figure out how many are going to go to high school and like finish and then maybe go to college, and how many of our kids just need to learn a trade so that they can become members of their society and support families that they'll eventually have. And so we're working, working. I mean, we're talking hours upon hours of meetings in 100-degree heat <laughs> sitting on... Um, Concrete sidewalks, but I was being faithful. And I remember just walking around one day thinking how jealous I was that this environment was provided for these kids and that we struggled to provide this in our own homes. If you guys ever have gone to church camps, 
It's it's like Jesus overload all the time. It's woven in everything, and there's fellowship, and there's time to like really develop your faith. But here we have so many distractions. They don't have the same distractions we do over there. And like I said, they really depend on their faith for their everyday necessities. So I remember one day walking to a meeting, and I saw this young lady dressed in white sitting underneath a mango tree. And everybody else was running around playing soccer or something like that, and this girl was reading her Bible. And I remember thinking, that is unreal. Like, my kids would be like, where's the Switch? Let's play video games, you know? <laughs> but they don't have that. So, like, I just found great admiration for this, this young lady and just thinking to myself, like, we are doing something here that is unbelievable, that is an eternal legacy. How wonderful. My day continued, and then we had just a little bit of downtime, and this young boy named Regan came to me, and he says, Miss Kendra, someone wishes to speak with you. And I thought, an adult needs you, because they don't have, like, walkie-talkies or cell phones necessarily, so they usually say, hey, go get so-and-so, and you run around this 14-acre compound. We have to find someone. Um, so Regan takes me to this room, and there are two young ladies sitting there, one I recognize and one I don't. The lady that I did not recognize is this young lady right here. And it felt like I was walking into an intervention. I was a little intimidated. <laughs> and I sat down and I said, what can I do for you guys? And Regan says, Imelda has a prophetic word for you. And I was like, okay, lay it on me. And she stands up, and she begins to speak to me, and, and she's telling me, and she is confident, and she says, Father God woke me from a dream two months ago, and he said to me, you must begin praying, you must pray for someone I'm sending you. And she says to God, who is this person that you're sending to me? And he says, I will reveal it to you whenever the time is right, but you must pray. She says, but Lord, how should I pray? And he says, you must pray for them. You must pray for them because they are my worker and they are tired and they were weary and they wish to quit, but I am not done with them. And you must tell them to continue to keep working. And I just bawled like I'm doing right now. And I thought, how does this kind of thing happen? This is amazing. And so this young lady proceeds to tell me things that I've only thought in my head about, like, I'm not good enough, I can't do this anymore, and she's literally telling me the opposite and telling me that God has called me to this and not to quit, and he's not done, and that he will bless my work if I continue. And I was like, well, good, because I need some blessings. <laughs> so she, she prays over me. And then I get an opportunity to ask who she is because she's not one of our kids. Well, it turns out that our van was broke down and wasn't able to transport children that were fee-paying children who come to our school. She is a fee-paying child who lives with her aunt in town. She lives with her aunt because her father died and her mother remarried and her mother's husband does not accept her as his child. So she was cast out. She is an orphan. 
She's not one of our orphans. She didn't even know who I was. But she tells me that the moment that I walked through the doors, it was like she had seen me for months in her dreams. And she knew it was me. And then she tried to avoid me and got a tummy ache. And she said that if she does not be obedient to God, then she will not be well. (laughs) And I was like, I hear that. Okay. So um, one of the things that she said to me, and then she later wrote in this wonderful letter, was that we are, we are marked to do things for the kingdom and that we must be obedient to keep doing those things. And that Matthew says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be open." I feel that that goes in so many different ways. And it's not always about meeting a need that we have, but reminding God of our requests. And I felt that it was so like unreal that God would literally use uh, the mouth of an orphan to tell me, like, tell me, suck it up, keep going, I'm not done. And I said, okay. I immediately, when we went back to our hotel, was praying to God, and I was like, reveal these people to me. Who, who am I supposed to talk to? Send them to me. What am I supposed to do? I, don't, I wasn't raised wealthy to have a bunch of wealthy friends that I can call and say, hey, can you give me $100,000? I'm climbing my way through $38 sponsorships. And immediately I get a Facebook message from a lady that I volunteered with probably five years ago. Hey, I just want to let you know that I'm on the board of this foundation, and I'd like to talk to you. And I'm like, again, this is unreal. I was like, absolutely, I'm in Uganda right now. I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you when I get back. And she says, okay, let's meet. Now, our meeting didn't necessarily turn into, like, big donations, but it turned into a partnership of, you can use our facility for your fundraiser for free. Who just, who just says, here's a giant ballroom. You can use it. That's amazing. And here's some dresses to give to your little girls in Mexico for a quinceanera. Sent me with 30 prom dresses that were, like, really nice. And I was like, okay. So then I'm like, all right, if God is going to prepare me to ask people for money and, and just keep going, like, I'm just supposed to be bold and I'm supposed to ask. And then I'm supposed to knock and keep knocking. What does that look like? So I had a list of people that had been in my mind of, I should just ask them for money. But I don't know what their propensity is to give. And so I just took an online course to figure out how to make a proposal. Because while we were in Uganda, the transition house has 40 kids coming up next. And the house that we built wasn't big enough now. And so we have this property and these half-built buildings that we need to finish. And the price tag is outrageous. And I'm like... Only a miracle can solve this problem. (laughs) And um, I write this proposal. I give it to all of our board, and I say, how does this look? And they give me the thumbs up, and I'm like, okay. I'm just going to start throwing this out there, trying to get people involved. So I I wrote to this donor. Um, I've never actually talked to her. I can only talk to her financial advisor, which, let me tell you, is a little bit more challenging because they deal with numbers. And I like to talk about emotions and all of the, the you know, ways that you can 
don't know, get people on your side by sharing your testimony or sharing something. something. And I, I don't have that opportunity here, but I still thought I've I'm, I'm got to reach out to this person. I went ahead and reached out to them and gave them my proposal, and it was basically, here is everything it will take to finish our transition program in Uganda. And it's a big ticket item. And the guy says, thanks, I'll hold on to this, and whenever she and I meet, we'll look at it, and I'm like, would you mind telling me when that will be? And he's like, oh, towards the end of the year, and I was like, dang it, I missed it. I missed it. And then I thought, well, let's move on to the next person, asking people for for funding, for meetings, all kinds of stuff. About six weeks ago, I got an email that says, hey, I'm meeting with that donor. Send me that thing. And I was like, he doesn't even remember what it's called. I'll send it, okay. And then he says, how much of this do you still need? And I was like, all of it? And he's like, okay, thanks. I'm like, oh, gosh. Then fast forward a few weeks, I get a phone call while I'm sitting in my car crying about being a step-parent. And it's this man, and he says, Kendra, this is a phone call and not an email. Okay. He says, I want you to know that I talked with this donor, and she's agreed to give you everything. I started crying, and he goes, don't cry. Don't cry. And I was like, I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) And I was just blown away. I have never, ever, ever had that responsibility of major fundraising. But I made an ask because God said to not stop. And he landed 86 grand to cover the entire transition property. And I literally can only attest that to like God's goodness. So Imelda was obedient And she told me, a 16-year-old girl, orphaned in Uganda, told me to be obedient. So I'm being obedient, and God is opening those doors, and I keep knocking, and I keep asking. And I'm just going to be faithful until he literally opens the door that says, get out. (laughs) But I'm so grateful. And then I just want to tell you really quickly that Imelda um, wrote me a letter and said, you know, she's like three pages long, just encouraging me, continuing to tell me Bible verses that have been given to her, and then she tells me, um, this will be the last time that I write to you, because um, I've been expelled from school, and I'm like, what what does this mean? Well, she's a fee-paying student, she's not a sponsored kid, Um, and the project allowed her to stay there for a period of time, hoping that her family could make up the finances, Um, and unfortunately, they could not. So she was released from the school and sent home. And I was just envisioning that God brought this girl into my life to give me the encouragement and the answers that I was looking for. And through her obedience, I've been successful in doing this mission. How selfish is it for me to just say, thanks, have a good life? And I just wrote back into the project and I said, what's it going to take to get her back at school? And they said, oh, she's got a lot of arrears. And I'm like, what are we talking? And it's, it's nominal. Like, I cannot eat or get, you know, new clothes or something like that for a while. And I just was like, all right, well, consider it paid for. So I started, I'm just adding kids to my spiritual family. Like, I'm just collecting them. But I felt like 
God put us together for that reason. And even though she's not even in our program, she's still an orphan that needs care. And I'm going to make sure that she gets it. So that's my, my story of sweet Imelda. And I just want you to know that God is continuing to work in and through every single one of us. And it doesn't have to be some neon light that's flashing, although we pray to God that we get that. And usually, when God sends it, you better be ready to listen. But I want to encourage you that however God is calling you, whatever he's doing in your life, that there are ways for you to step into your faith. And, of course, I'm just going to tell you how how to do that with Project Hope. Um, I'm going to play a little video for um, Orphan Sunday, and it's going to talk about being the light for a child and how a light casts darkness out and that we can do that for children. So I'm going to get this started for us, and then I promise I'll speak faster. Oops, wrong button, sorry. such a good video um, that Capo gave us, just to remind us that we are blessed to have been given the light, and that it is our responsibility to share that light with others. 
I want to do an illustration with you really quick, and you'll have to bear with me. I want everybody to close your eyes just for a moment. I want you to imagine with me complete and total darkness, the kind where you can't see your hand in front of your face, the kind of darkness that confuses the senses. How do you feel in this darkness? Alone? Afraid? Unable to navigate your surroundings? Maybe even vulnerable? Hope desperately, hoping desperately to stumble upon a glimpse of light that could bring hope. And now you can open your eyes. For over 140 million orphans across the globe, the presence of darkness is reality. The darkness manifests itself when hope is lost and a child is robbed of their protection, their guidance, and their provision, mostly their family. This darkness blockens blocks the precious children from seeing their future as a hope-filled thing. Where restoration, grace, and a chance to be a part of a family seems impossible. The sons and daughters of God, we have something so valuable that has been given to us. This gift isn't meant to be hoarded or hidden, but shown and shared. This light shines even through war, loss, poverty, abuse, hunger, pain, and even hurtful inventions brought up by humanity through sin. The darkness cannot overcome it. At Project Hope Worldwide, our greatest desire for these children is that that God would bring light to their darkness. Each child in our care was created with a plan and a purpose, and we intend to see that hope is restored and God glorified as they find that purpose. As you saw in our holistic care model, we, we make sure that every child is lifted out of poverty, given their necessities, just like a father would provide. And we're able to do that because of kingdom-minded people like you guys, out of your abundance. I know that the orphan care crisis can seem very overwhelming. And I don't know if you're like me, but I've seen the Sally Struther commercials and the uh, daytime commercials with children with flies all over their face and they're begging for money. It becomes numb because it's become something marketed and it doesn't feel real anymore, especially when we only see it for a short clip. I think Mother Teresa said it best. If you can't feed 100 people, you should feed just one. It takes just one caring person to change the life of a child. And in your chairs, I think I scattered around uh, a few profiles. You guys might be able to find those. And those are faces of children in our programs that need sponsorship. These children are waiting for someone to share their light. And that someone could be you guys. Now, I know some of you in this room are already child sponsors, and we value that, and we appreciate you so much, and I hope that you've been able to see what you've done and how it's affected these children's lives. And I know that it's probably affected you as well. And through opportunities like this, being obedient to God and just showing up and preaching on or talking on a Sunday, I hope that God will show his faithfulness through all of us to care for these children see if I can wake up my computer. 
Um, one of the things that I'm super proud of at Project Hope that I think is a great opportunity to share with you is that 100% of every child sponsorship dollar goes towards the care of the children. So my sponsorship for Ivan, I originally started at $76 a month, and then someone dropped off, and I decided to take on the whole thing. So I, I sponsor my little boy at $190 a month, and um, it's, it's a sacrifice, but it's one I'm willing to make. Um, my husband's a school teacher, and I work for a nonprofit. You guys can do the math. Uh, we got three kids. <laughs> um, but God is faithful, and all the things that I could spend that extra money on will provide no value to my life, honestly. It's just things and stuff. Um, so I want you guys to know that when you give to Project Hope, your money matters. It does real work. And that our children that are coming up to graduate are proof of that. They've been in the program for over 10 years. Um, after the service, I would love to talk with you guys more about Project Hope, to inquire about volunteerism, mission trips. We go every year to the projects, um, sponsorship, or even just one-time donations. We, we have tons of kids that are not sponsored, and if someone's not interested in becoming like a monthly sponsor and receiving letters and like being that supporter, we have classrooms that need to be sponsored so that kids can have their books, can have their uniforms, can learn a trade so that they can move on. Every dollar really matters. And I want you guys to have the opportunity just to, to talk with us. Or if you, if you like us a lot, invite us back next year. Um, so I'm going to show you guys just one more video of wonderful smiling faces. You'll probably see me in there. I dyed my hair purple because I, I went gray, and then I tried some purple shampoo, and my hair turned purple. It was kind of cool. Um, but you'll see just some of the wonderful faces of the people um, that go on trips, that make it happen, and also our great kids' face. So let me show that for you.
so good. All right, I'd like to ask Grady to come up and close us in prayer. And then uh, the bossers and I will be over here and just come talk to us. Uh, if you guys want to get involved, uh, we'd love to talk with you.